the free for all roundtable brought to you by lexus avon canada's newest lexus dealer in the maple auto mall near rutherford at highway 400 luxury is closer than you think round one on round one today dave trafford is here host and the producer of on the ledge the ontario politics podcast toronto lawyer kareem Assad is also present and jerry agar live in studio the host of the jerry agar show nine to noon good morning to you all and um i don't know if there's anything necessarily new to say about the encampments, but it seems we're at another um, station of the cross. Homeless encampments, according to a special report today in the Toronto Star, are back to growing in the city of Toronto. Uh, Jerry, I'll start with you. I have to wonder if, as we enter the home stretch of the mayor's race, this becomes an issue. Well, isn't it already an issue? I haven't heard a lot of people talk about it. I think most people are are shy about getting hard ass about the encampments. Okay, well, so I I think they should get uh, on some of the people who facilitate this kind of stuff. I mean that that is part of where the problem is. I think is you've got these warring factions of people who think that uh, it is not caring to have people live in tents in a camp uh, that where they have taken over a, a public park and other people who will fight them and fight the police and. Provide Provide the tents, and uh, why are you trying to provide a dysfunctional lifestyle for people? Dave Trafford, I'll turn to you, and uh, I have been accused of being a hard ass on this issue. I don't want these people pushed into the lake, but I just don't think you have a right to live in a park. Well, the problem with all of this has been that the courts have said already that unless you've got some place to put them, there's, there's, you know, we can't be pushing them out of the parks or off the streets or whatever. That, that's the case. So there's a couple of things at play here, and we all know this. The folks who run the shelters are telling us that they're spending $317 million more in this city right now than we have. So if you think the problem's huge now, wait till we get to January of 2024 when there is no money. That's one thing. Combine that with the fact that we're dialing back all of our COVID um, uh, plans, and that's when we put people into the hotels. You remember the whole situation at the Novotel? Not an ideal situation either, but they weren't in, in encampments. So taking those shelter spaces away, uh, having the shelter system that's there now full, where do these people go? I mean, that really is the question. And I understand the uh, nobody wants to walk through Allen Garden. Great. That should be an impetus to actually take action and action just can't be clearing the park action has to be where are we going to house these people uh karima sad your thoughts so i i work with clients sometimes who rely on central intake to try and find shelter spots and will attest to how difficult it is even for someone who is willing to be in one of those congregate settings and you know if we look at how our current system is set up and the cost that it takes to run shelters, that money could be allocated differently to ensure that people are are sheltered with first and last month with other types of support. So I think we really need a more caring and empathetic approach because many people are closer to being homeless than they appreciate, whether they're renters or owners. Well, the federal government has got to step up because the federal government has created some of this problem, the increase, uh, the influx of people that they have allowed illegally into the country and literally sent over here to Toronto. And I've been told from inside City Hall that, in fact, the the uh, incredible overflow of shelters and food programs and such is in part due to that. So where's the federal money? Well, a lot of that's refugees, too, and you're right, Jerry, that they have said that they will take responsibility for it, and we're still waiting for them to cut the check. Yeah. <laughs>
Meanwhile, let's move on to a couple of other things. Uh, I don't know if this is necessarily debatable, but I threw it out there because I thought maybe you guys would have some funny perspectives. Uh, you might have seen front page of the New York Post yesterday was Blame Canada. The guy who wrote the song Blame Canada for the South Park movie has actually rewritten the lyrics to complain about our forest fires. Uh, Karima, I guess it's amusing more than anything else. I don't think anybody's genuinely, uh, except for Janine Pirro, apparently at Fox, uh, genuinely coming after Canada as a grievance. No, uh, they're probably not after us for this. And really, um, you know, we can think about all of the figurative fires that have spread from the U.S. across our border here. Um, but yeah, the, the whole world is is burning and and you know that's that part's no laughing matter i mentioned janine Pirro. we actually have a clip of her and uh, i mean she's unhinged on any given day and according to many inside sources often drunk too joe biden gets up there and he says uh we're gonna put together a national interagency fire response to work with canada no you're the president of the United States. They have done something that has harmed people in the United States. Another president would have said, what are you doing to stop this? Why is this happening? This is a serious health hazard for the people in my country. But what does Biden do? He joins the wrongdoing. He creates this ideological issue and says, well, put more money in it. Mm. Our money. <laughs> Dave Trafford. Apparently, we have offended some Americans with our fires. Well, you know, it, it was just as silly, the exchange in the Queen's Park in the legislature this week with between Merritt Stiles and the Premier. And Merritt Stiles is saying, you know, what are we doing about the climate uh, change and the climate crisis that is contributing to these fires? It's the earliest we've seen the fires. They're more intense. We're seeing, the, again, the health problems, the smoke all over the place. And the Premier, you know, almost taking the other tack and saying, how dare you politicize these wildfires? Uh, and not really getting at the issue uh, that, that, that we're dealing with here. 400 wildfires across the country. 10% of the forest we have in this country is on fire, and we got a lot of forest, so that's a lot of fire. Okay, Jerry Eger. Well, we've had more fires uh, actually in years in the past, but people always forget the past. Uh, I don't know the United States. Not at this States. time of year. Yeah, not well, at this time. Of year. Overall, yes. Uh, but but here's the thing: maybe a different president in the United States would say, "Hey, Canada, how can we help you? Can we send some water bombers?" Or well, yes. you know, okay, well then you know, step it up uh, because we're we're also if we if you want to talk about global warming um, the and the use of fossil fuel, if that's your issue, who uses more, us or them? Well, and that leaks across the border. Per capita, actually, no, per capita does the is useless. Users per capita doesn't matter, John. It's a false number. People like to use to pretend that our carbon tax makes sense, and it doesn't. And uh, so, if if what we're worried about is global warming, and you're freaked out about people using fuel, they use a lot more than we do. So, you know, would it, can I get on that woman's show? Jane Pirro? <laughs> yeah. Believe me, you do not want to be on her show. Well, I've been on Fox the, before. She is one of these, those people who, when Saturday Night Live makes fun of her, yeah? they just do her. Okay. I know nothing about her, actually. This is the first I've ever heard her. Now, she was a former These fires, judge. by the way, are kicking out more emissions than millions and millions of car trips a day. So, <laughs> just for perspective. The irony, I though, I would is, watch a Jerry-Janine crossover. Okay, anything. thank you. Okay. Thanks for the support. Yeah, just to finish that thought, <laughs> the irony, though, Dave, is that when things like volcanic eruption 
eruptions and forest fires happen, they actually lower the global temperature for a period of time because there's so much particulate matter in the air. Um, anyway, listen, let's keep going. Uh, Liberals unveiling a plan to make hybrid House of Commons sittings permanent. Uh, we've talked about this topic in the past, but uh, Karima, let me start with you on this one. I find it incredibly ironic that on the day that the leader of the opposition declared he would vote against this, he cast a vote in the Commons uh, remotely. <laughs> yeah, you can't really make stuff like that up. Um, you know, I, I don't feel super strongly about it one way or the other. I think that there are benefits to being in person where conversation is exchanged and that's how camaraderie is formed and that's important for politicians. But at the same time, those who are located far from the capital um, will be able to spend more time with constituents. And it really depends on the nature of the vote, right, and the issue at stake. And if people are pushing to work from home, I don't see why that wouldn't apply to uh, our, our MPs. Yeah. And Jerry Yeager, I like being in studio. I miss the fact that uh, not all of our panelists come in anymore, but we're also able to do the show. So I have to imagine that in Parliament, they'd be able to pull it off. Yeah, I think the hybrid model is a good thing. Nobody is suggesting that they just give up on it. And if you're the representative for Toronto, you never go to Ottawa. I think, um, yes, there's benefit to people getting together. Do they have to be together every single day? I don't think so. Maybe we could save travel money. It's not the biggest part of the budget, but um, a saving is the same and, you know, more time with your constituents. And I think whether it's in business or it's the, the government, whoever it is, I was talking about this on my show yesterday. If you're a worker, you're a worker. If you're not, it doesn't matter where you are. Dave Trafford? Yeah, I, 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 there's not enough here to get fussed about, but there's mm-hmm. part of me that says if we're actually going to be dealing with, you know, the issues of the day and voting on that kind of stuff, I, part of me thinks you should be in the room for it. But, I, you know, I'm, I, I can be convinced otherwise. You know what, Dave? We tend to think we know all about what they're voting on, so... <laughs> We're not sitting there in Ottawa. (laughs) Um, Karima, I'm going to come back to you again because you're actually in Ottawa this morning and you're going to be covering a protest of a guy. And this dovetails very nicely with John Ibbotson's column today in the Globe and Mail, where he talks about the, you know, virtual war that is being waged against transgender people that is possibly going to end up compromising all queer people. I think it's really important to see this from a global perspective, because while this is happening in the States as well, similar patterns across Western civilization. Um, And I really want people to pay attention to the use of children in particular as political props and who that harms, who that benefits, and how disconnected the loudest voices are from the actual material needs of people who need human rights protections. We have strong frameworks. We should be counting on that and not relying so heavily on performative gestures, right, in this age of social media. Dave Trafford, I've said a few times this week on the show, I always thought, and I think most people always thought, rights and dignities granted would never be taken away. But it appears people are trying to, you know, gang up, especially in the States, but now in Canada, on, uh, you know, LGBTQ plus people. 
Yeah, and I think it has ever been thus um, it, it, when we when we kind of look at a, a number of these issues, but to the point where you know we're we're politicizing or using kids in protests that cuts both ways. So I mean, the number of times where parents are bringing kids out because they are protesting against the education system, or the teachers are engaging the kids, or in anti-abortion or abortion um, protests, we've seen kids involved there. So uh, you know, my question is here that the narrative hasn't really changed, and I I, I don't mean to be dismissive. The target here is very specific. So what's the remedy, though? And I'm not sure that we can actually lay over the American experience on the Canadian experience and just say, you know, they're equal and the same and the solutions are the same. Uh, honestly, I'm asking, what's the answer here? And how do we how do we get to a, uh, a narrative or a conversation that is healthier, mature and actually is inclusive? Thank you all. Good to have you. Dave Trafford, Jerry Igar, Karima Saad. And Karima, of course, is somebody you can well, you can follow everybody here on social media. But Karima in particular is kind of like a field reporter when it comes to covering all kinds of protests and kickbacks and anti-vaxxers and all of that stuff. Catch the roundtable. Round one at 745. Round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.